Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Bonnie Bartran is an award-winning, truth-telling, dynamic screenwriter and director. Bonnie has always loved books, but it took a worldwide shutdown and COVID till she could finally write her own. Her debut novel, Whispers, is a spine-tingling thriller with a sharp satirical edge told from the perspective of women sort of like Bonet, who are competent and also very diverse. When Whispers came out on Amazon, it hit number one and number two for both the ebook and the paperback. And she's currently working, getting ready to release yet another book. This is one of my most anticipated interviews. Welcome to the Storyteller Microphone, Bonet. Thank you so much, Grace. That was such a nice introduction. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're more than welcome. I was excited to interview you because Jade and Wilnona, the And I Thought ladies who are so dynamic, told us that you and I should get together. But what really attracted me was when I read from a very early age, you've always called yourself a storyteller. Tell me about that. So yeah, whenever I was a kid, I'm an army brat. So when I was a kid, we used to move around a lot. And my younger sister would get really upset about leaving our friends behind. So I made up this world for her called Pegasus Land, where she and her friends could meet each other in their dreams and still have their adventures. And I would tell them their adventures over the phone and whatnot before we went to bed. And so that was kind of where it began was mostly to try to comfort my sister. But I mean, truth be told, by the time I was like two, <laughs> I, I knew I wanted to be a storyteller when I grew up. How did you know that? Well, there's video evidence. Um, <laughs> my uncle, I called him Uncle Baga, but Bill Martin, he wrote uh, Harry and the Hendersons, which was like sure. a movie from the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. And um, he has me on camera asking me, all right, little Bo, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, well, I want to have my own TV show and I want to be a storyteller. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it just kind of stuck with me always throughout my life that I had a perspective on the world that people enjoyed hearing, um, even if they didn't fully get it all the time. <laughs> uh, and so that, I think, was really a big inspiration for me was also moving around and, you know, getting to experience different kinds of people in different places. It helps. I love that you found your calling at what I would consider such a young age, because I interview a lot of women who I also celebrate wholly that didn't find their storytelling voice until much later in life. So I love that you found it early and you've already made such amazing contributions. Something happened to you in high school that really helped you find your footing? Yeah, it was so funny. I wanted to be a lawyer. And um, because of the military background, I was going into the Judicial Advocates General JAG. And um, I ended up moving to Germany post 9-11 because um, my, you know, my dad got shipped over there. And I thought it was kind of like the end of the world because I was leaving all of my friends behind like in high school. And it was just, you know, awful. But instead, I met this teacher, Mr. Fritz, who had a video lab that was, I mean, the, th the stuff of legend, honestly. I had no idea at that point 
that you could use editing software to make something. So everything I had done, and I had shot quite a few shorts up until this point with my parents super high eight, but everything I had done was in camera edits. So I would set up a shot and like in, you know, um, in a congruent timeline, I would, I would set up the shots and shoot it. Then when I met Mr. Fritz and I discovered Final Cut Pro and nice cameras. <laughs> <laughs> the Super 8 didn't do it for you anymore. I mean, <laughs> but it blew my mind. And Mr. Fritz really opened a lot of doors for me. And just he, it was funny. He was like the curmudgeon teacher that everybody was like, oh, no, like I know it sounds like it's an easy class, but don't take Fritz's class, right? Um, and I, I loved him. I just thought he was the best. And I think it was because a lot of people didn't take it seriously. And I took it deadly seriously, <laughs> so seriously. So I started doing interviews with bands. He set me up with, um, all kinds of huge bands. I started off with Papa Roach. Uh, I interviewed Disturbed, a bunch of metal bands, by the way. Which I know people of, out of um, my genre. Sorry. <laughs> well, and most kids nowadays don't really know metal either, which is very sad. But yeah, the metal days were—I mean, the best days. What can I say? <laughs> so yeah, that's funny. One of the things I like to do on the storytellers is build areas of commonality amongst diverse people, amongst people of different ages. And my first speech and drama teacher was Mr. Fritz. No, really? So thank you. So thank you for just conjuring up him for me. I haven't thought about Mr. Fritz in years. Ninth grade, Mr. Fritz changed I my life. That. Oh my God, Mr. Fritz. There's And you know, my brother-in-law's last name is Fritz. So my sister and my niece's last name. How weird is that? Fritz. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to get Mr. Fritz in my next novel just because you, you yes. conjured him up for me again. I Tell us it. about Whisperers and that amazing vacation, which goes so horribly wrong. Ah, well, so Whispers was really, um, it was interesting. I, I'd never actually written a novel before. Um, and so I, I started hearing things in, during COVID that really inspired me to dig deep into like what I saw as like a conspiratorial nature happening in America. Right. And so with Whispers, we have um, Stacy, who is a lawyer. I wonder where I got that idea, right? <laughs> I can't imagine. Right? Um, but she's a lawyer and she is childless. Again, no idea where I got that. Um, and she takes her sisters, uh, Amalia is her sister-in-law and her sister, you know, by blood, um, Emily. I almost said my real sister's name right there. <laughs> <laughs> Not that my real family inspired it. Totally did. Um, my sister-in-law is very much like Amalia, and so is my little sister, like Emily. But um, she takes them on a vacation to Florida. And when they're in Florida, the young girls, uh, the, the nieces, are playing and having a great time until one day they start acting kind of weird and, you know, talking to each other about a monster that's following them. And, of course, the adults don't think much of it. They just, you know, they're in a fantasiful world of all the theme parks and stuff. Of course, they're going to come up with something, right? Well, unfortunately, while the adults are talking downstairs, um, one of the young girls goes missing from upstairs. And so the entire book is about how to solve a mystery when nobody really believes what's happening in the first place. 
it's a wonderful premise and um, it's very believable. You know, you, you just jump right in. I actually went out, I think the villain's name is Mr. Tasty Cakes. Mr. Tasty Treats, yeah. Tasty Treats. Yep. And he's so believable and he's such a part of American myth. I actually went out and tried to research him and he actually just exists in your brain, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. That's really funny. That's one of the things I think has been really surprising for me. A number of people have told me that they believed that he was an actual legend and no, but there's a lot of truth behind his legend. It's, but yeah, he's, he's a fabrication of my very twisted mind. <laughs> One of the things I loved because, you know, full disclosure, I was a drama uh, major in high school and then on into college. I, I did a double major in psych, but I love reading plays and not a lot of people like to read plays. But when I read your book, your wonderfully written novel, I felt like this is going to be a screenplay in a second. She walked across the room, her face fell, the light coming through, even the image that you were able to create of the shoes at the door in the very opening scene. Do you find that your novel writing process is different than your screenwriting process? How does that work for you? Absolutely. And thank you, by the way. Um, I love that you have that parallel. Thank, thank you for knowing the um, the screenplay background uh, without being like, and uh, by the way. <laughs> it well, it doesn't, hit you over, it doesn't hit you over the head. It's just a delightful dive into a different kind of cadence, at least for me. Thank you, Grace. Yeah, I, I love that you, you get it. Like, I, I love that you're also a drama major and you know, as we call ourselves the big nerds, right? Yes. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, no, it's a very different, uh, it was like shockingly different. Of course, the page count is a big difference. Um, I'm used to writing about 100 pages in screenplay format, which is not 100 pages in a book anyway, because of, you know, all the different margins. And, you know, when you're writing dialogue, it's, so long story short, that alone, when I hit the first hundred pages, I was like, I'm sorry, how many more pages do I have to go? <laughs> 200 more, please. And the ironic thing was, though, it felt like it was exactly as long as it needed to be as I was writing it. And I, was, I, I do see how it could be a movie, of course, but the words that I was able to use as a novelist in this novel versus the kind of way I have to just let people assume on a screenplay was beautiful. That was something that honestly just, I fell in love with the process of writing novels because of this. In a screenplay, frankly, it's more like an instruction manual. I'm writing instructions for a crew to make a movie, right? I'm telling an actor what their character is saying and when they're saying it. I'm telling the cameraman like what the world looks like and like what he can or she can assume the world is going to be like and what kind of moments we might be capturing. I'm telling, you know, the production designer exactly, you know, what kind of backgrounds and stuff in these moments, but it's all up to interpretation by the director mostly. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not the director, which has happened before, sometimes things can go sideways. Like what happened with one of my movies? I'm, the first film I ever made, the director made it very different than how it was written. And that was something that was really painful, honestly, especially because it was a very um, woman-centric story. And 
this older gentleman ended up directing it and turned it into something else. And it was something that I, it, it didn't completely turn me off to writing screenplays, obviously, because I've written many after that, but it did make me very firm in the fact that I now, as a writer in the screenplay world, am very specific about who directs. Um, if it's not me, then I have a hand in selecting the director because I never want that to happen again. And so the thing with the book, I got to control not just the story and how, you know, the different characters came across, but I got to play every part, which was absolutely inspiring. It was, I mean, and it was so hard. Like novelists, I have to say my hat is off to a novelist, let me tell you, because that is a hard, especially when you're writing something that ha like has an emotional tie to yourself. That's a hard situation to live there for so long and to be that far down the rabbit hole, so to speak. It really is. And I love that you, you're talking about something so many of us as authors experience that once we finish it, when we give birth to it, it is out in the world. And we don't always have the control that we would like. Um, and obviously, whether it's film or a novel, it's still open to interpretation, you know, with the, in that last scene, like, did that really happen? Or, or what's going to happen next? Right. So I love that there are some parallels there as well. Talk, if you will, about the role of women in the industry, uh, particularly in the film industry, and how they're making a different mark on the world uh, through their type of storytelling. Mm, I love that you asked that question. Thank you, Grace. Thank you. And we it didn't is, even plan that. I know. <laughs> we didn't plan any of this. You're just brilliant. Um, <laughs> so when it comes, seriously, good question. Uh, when it comes to the film industry, th this is something I'm very passionate about. I've been in the film industry since I was 19, and I'm in my 30s now. <clears throat> my mid-30s, thank you, COVID. I was in my <laughs> early 30s at the beginning of COVID, and somehow I'm in my mid-30s already. But um, I, 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 by the way, I don't believe that the last two years happened. I'm erasing them from my timeline. <laughs> <laughs> but so many good things happened. You know you what? That's novel, true. You and I got to meet. All right. Got fine. Focus on those positive things. That's a good point. Okay. Go back. I just to mean age-wise. You know. Um, okay. So in in the film industry, we so first of all, it's really important to have women in in uh, film, specifically as directors and writers. And the reason is probably something most people don't think about. Being a director is specifically having a perspective. So any movie can be completely different depending on who the director is. Any story can be different. And when stories are told by one group of people, a homogenous group of people, no matter what that group is, the entire consumption, like everyone who watches it, only sides with that group of people. So historically, it's been straight white men who have had the only voice in filmmaking that has been publicized, that has been, you know, consumed by most people. And this is one of the reasons we relate to men on so many levels, like to the exclusion of ourselves even sometimes, because there are protagonists. They're the people that we've been taught to relate to. They're the eyes we've seen the world through. As a director, we have the opportunity to show people what it's actually like to see through these eyes or those eyes or, you know, and that's why it's so important, not only just to include women, but to include diversity 
in filmmaking, um, specifically as directors and writers, because our stories from our perspectives are something that no one else can do. I can try my hardest. And it's something I even with whispers, um, the uh, two of the characters, the sisters um, are white. And then the sister-in-law, she's black. And I wanted to tell it from her point of view as well, but I knew I couldn't because that's not an experience that I've had. And it would be wrong for me to try to assume what that experience is like and to tell people what I think their experience is. Right. So that's why I, of course, love her character and needed her in the book. But I also like reached out to people in my own life that, you know, had those experiences and asked like, hey, in this situation, what do you think about um, the reaction of this or that, you know? And that is what is so important right now. There is a movement to bring more voices into filmmaking and into storytelling. And I can't, I, I think that's honestly the thing that could fix the world tomorrow. If we just relate to each other, if we just take the time to look at a situation from someone else's point of view, it opens up so much empathy and understanding and, you know, it, it takes away all of the frustration of just not getting it. And so even though right now we're still less than 10% of the film industry, which again is so frustrating, it's not even funny. And that's white women. Like we're right. talking about, you know, the amount of people who have been excluded from this industry um, it's, it's honestly horrible. Um, and I think it's the reason that we have so much tension in our world is because people just don't understand because they've never listened to the other side. I, I think you're brilliant. And I, I wish I was as brilliant, um, at your age, because I think that, for example, in my novel, The Eves, the subline is when our stories are told, everything changes. Mm. But it also has to be that somebody has to listen to those stories. And like you, I have white women, black women, I've got Native Americans, I've got a lesbian couple. And I wanted that diversity there. But I also needed to be respectful of not co-opting and realizing that as a white woman, and as an older white woman, I have certain perspectives. So I used beta readers. It sounds like you had similar experiences. You sent them out to various people to see if you had the right touchstone. Well, so my sister-in-law is black. Um, and so I asked her, you know, um, she she helped me a lot. Um, and then quite a few of my very close friends also went ahead and read it. So not necessarily like beta readers, you know, people who do it for a living, but people who were in my life who were very supportive of the project from the beginning and offered. I would never have asked, which also... Um, you know, it's that, that's something that I, I really think is important, too, is just like not to force ask people um, for their opinion on something that may be triggering or offensive. You know what I mean? But to, for me, I was very lucky. I had people who were very excited about the project and wanted to help and just gave me so much insight. It was incredible. It was incredible. Uh, and I think that's wonderful. For you, it was very much a family affair. Your sister and your mom were involved. Are they oh, very yeah. involved in the bulk of your life? I mean, yes and no. I mean, they're both in Colorado. Uh, and then my sister-in-law's in Florida. So, 
you know, we see each other as often as we possibly can and we talk a lot. But um, yeah, I mean, we're very close from afar. <laughs> they don't want to live in L.A. <laughs> they don't want to come out here. <laughs> oh, I, well, and I can understand that in some respects. Um, well, I also when you see Colorado, just... it makes it really understandable. Or, I mean, where they live in Florida is beautiful, too. <laughs> Well, I should, they should come over for dinner. I'm in Florida. Oh, nice. So I think that I also wanted to go back, though, to that idea of diversity for a minute, because I also thought it was important that when I work with diverse people to see if I'm getting my words right, that I also make sure that they realize I'm not expecting them to talk for all lesbians or all people of color or all Native Americans, because that's an awful burden. I just want to make sure I, I haven't been offensive and that I, I have some touch points, right? Is that a similar experience in film? Well, I would say like, obviously we can't speak for all women in our demographics even, right? So right. how could we possibly assume anyone else could? So you're totally right, Grace. Um, I think for, I think, I think it really is um, like an individual process, right? For me, um, I was like in this situation to, you know, one of my, my touchstone people in this situation, I think X, Y, and Z, what do you think? And one of my friends, she, she cracks me up. She is such a badass. She is an older woman who has been singing backup for some of the biggest bands in the world forever. And she is just brilliant. And she was like, well, let me tell you something. If it was me, <laughs> I would come in like this. And so for me, I, I really liked for this book specifically, I patterned a lot of people off of real people. Mm -hmm. And my friend Belinda, love you, Belinda, uh, was one of the people that I really patterned Amalia off of um, because she and I are very close. And so, you know, I wanted to make sure that it was something that was authentic to her person, not just, you know, black women in general. Like it was like Belinda in this situation would you do this or would you be more like this? Like, tell me how you, you know, how you'd sure. react to this situation. And I think that's kind of the point is anytime we're writing characters, we're writing specific people, right? We're not writing tropes. And I think that's like, you nailed it when you were saying like, we can't expect anyone to be, you know, the one that represents everybody else. That's insane. You know, we're writing specific characters that have specific experiences in life and, Amalia, her character doesn't really have um, like a universal experience anyway. Her character is, you know, she has her own world and her own way of thinking and her own uh, background and all of those things influence how she reacts in, in the book. And I think that's I think that's what it's really about when it comes to any character is making sure that we find that thing that makes them real, the foundation that makes them real human and relatable right absolutely and you've done a great job of that i can't believe our time is over already you'll have oh my to come gosh. back how did that happen I know. you'll have to come back when you release your <laughs> next novel which hopefully will be very soon and i like to end our episodes by asking something what's kind of quirky about you that maybe people might not know otherwise well, there's a few things. <laughs> what but, are you willing to share here on the Storyteller's right. Microphone? How appropriate. No. Um, so actually over COVID, I had a lizard from my garden move into my house and uh, ended up being a good friend of mine who um, it literally moved onto my dog's um, 
uh, guest bed and we fed it and took care of it and uh, adopted it and called it a house dragon. So I love all animals and all, all creatures of the world to the point where I was really happy when a lizard moved into my house. I love that. That's great. Um, people find you. Oh, well, I am on Facebook, um, Instagram, TikTok. I'm Bo Dippity on TikTok. Otherwise, I'm just Bonet Bartron. And you can go to my website, whispersbooks.com, to sign up for our ma mailing list and get all the information about my new book coming out and all the other weird stuff that I'm doing in the world. <laughs> I love it. Bonet, thank you for being a guest on The Storytellers. Thank you so much for having me, Grace. I can't wait to come back. <laughs> This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks for being with us. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.